Let's get right into it today, folks, because the election is in two days and I've got some phone banking to do for VP candidate Senator Kamala Debbie Harris. Uh, My guest today is Elise Granada, who is not only doing the work to meet young people where they're at so that our democracy doesn't crumble like a Ritz cracker, uh, but she also continues to inspire me about making space for creative projects and things that just light you up in general. Here's Elise. Please vote. Okay, bye. I think it's helpful to kind of start with its history where when it was started in 2004, it was just kind of the founder, Andy Bernstein, and a bunch of volunteers who would go to shows and set up with a table in the back and register voters, you know, on the ground at shows. It was really born out of like kind of the deadhead community with, you know, jam bands like Fish and Grateful Dead um, and like the kind of fan groups that like existed from that. But voter registration is our primary focus. Right now we're kind of in the get out the vote mode, which is like all the education and pledging and promising that kind of happens in like the few weeks between voter registration deadlines and actually voting. You know, there's there's some statistic that I'm not remembering, but it's a significant amount of people, of young people specifically, who are just not reached out to by campaigns. There's so much work, you know, that's important that's done in the political space, but it's often kind of touching people who are already engaged in some way or who already care, who are already pretty wonky and reading the news and engaged. And so what matters most is really empowering people who weren't, aren't in that conversation yet, right? And a lot of those people have just, you know, hit 18 and can actually vote or are 17 and can even pre-register. And so, um, you know, we're focused on registering young people who are kind of in the cultural and music space in the country. And are you finding, Elise, that like that demographic, I'm going to generalize here, but is it just that they have not been asked? They, You were saying like, you know, the outreach is not there or is it, is there some persuasion? Because uh, I know there's, there's a number of reasons that people don't vote uh, that I have a hard time understanding, but maybe you could shed some light on that. Yeah, I mean, it's a little bit of both. I think, you know, there's just like anything, there's like such a um, like information gap and in in just like the very basic premises. So for example, um, a, a pretty large chunk of young people don't even know it's possible to register to vote online, for example, right? And so there are those really basic um, misunderstandings or misconceptions that really are barriers, right? Because if you, you know, I, I experienced this even the other day, right? Just take it mail-in voting, for example, that's different in every state. Um, I have high intention to vote, high likelihood to do it. Um, I, you know, started the process, applied for my ballot, and then got the message that I was going to have to print out my ballot or print out my application for my ballot at home. And I was like, I don't have a printer. And it it just immediately, you know, then I ended up not even doing it. I'm just planning to vote in person on election day. But I think that's a great example of, you know, the methods and like, if there's any, any barrier, any lack of clarity, any bureaucratic nonsense of which there is plenty, because a lot of this is just based on states communicating kind of their rules and laws, which is like Greek. It just doesn't, it doesn't really, um, it's not accessibly worded or written for people. Um, there's that whole piece, right? Which is like, this just isn't for me. It's complicated. Um, I don't really, you know, and we can talk about the second piece, which is like feeling like it matters, right? So if they don't feel like it matters and it's a difficult um, process and they don't feel super enfranchised, like it's just not going to be a thing. Um, and then again, I think that there's a lot of just not being asked in the first place. Right. So, you know, I think there was, you know, that was also shown with volunteerism on campaigns, which is just, there's so many people who would pick up a phone or help text bank or go door knocking, but they've just never been asked. 
Yeah. And then of course there's the piece too, where there's maybe some disenfranchisement or, or lack of belief in like these systems working. Um, I would say like my approach and I think our approach as an organization has always been to assume to start to tackle the first problem, which is like access and clarity on how to actually go through this process. Um, often, you know, assuming the apathy is like part of what even turns off young voters in that conversation, right? Is like, they've heard that before. They know that that's a stigma. Um, and so it just, it becomes another block in even getting them to vote in the first place, you know? Right. And then also political campaigns sort of upholding that myth as well of like, well, young people don't vote. Like, why are we, you know, why are we wasting our time or our money? Um, and I think there's just, yeah, there's, I mean, some of the resources that you guys put on your site, which I presume you're behind, there's also like a lot of good, um, not necessarily counter statements, but just like, if someone says this is rigged, like things you can offer, like, <laughs> and it's a very empathetic approach. So it's just like, totally get it. It's really frustrating to, to feel like you, your voice doesn't matter, but, and it was, you know, kind of offered some, some good things there. You know, I, earlier this year had worked on the, or I was volunteering for the Bernie Sanders campaign and was doing text banking for them and learned a lot there, which I think we've been applying in this work around kind of the like per, methods of persuasion and really understanding, like, how do you talk to someone that you know, maybe not just isn't on your side, but doesn't care or doesn't feel involved. And one of their interesting tactics, um, you know, which I think is really important here is like really kind of focusing your efforts, not necessarily on somebody who's on the total different side of the spectrum. So maybe not somebody who's like, you know, on a, a, you know, who's like a huge Trump supporter, for example, like you might not be able to convince them (laughs) to come to your side. That's like a bigger, there's some love, uh, movement energy, right? That's just like making that harder. I exclusively <laughs> talk to QAnon, just <laughs> yeah, exactly. on, on principle. <laughs> um, but, you know, if you're focusing your energy on, you know, somebody who's in the middle or somebody who, you know, is uh, just yet yeah, not engaged or is kind of close or undecided, like your energy, just having a five minute conversation with that person is going to be so much better spent than like the hours you might spend wasting, you know, talking to somebody who's on the complete other side. doesn't mean that they're not worth talking to or engaging with or listening to, but it just means if you're, if your actual like theory of change, which is what like I kind of come back to is like, what am I in this for? Is it to like really shift somebody's perspective and like, and listen and learn, or is it to like be right and, and I think, again, like you mentioned the empathy point, like, I think that's such a huge one is like, you don't need to know, like, while making that resource, like the voter talking tips resource, like, you know, we, we came up with like all these like little, um, like, cute things to say, right, where it's like, you're voting for policies, not people, you know, there's so many like the little ways you could say it, but I do kind of come back to, like, just like the main principles of what helps you guide that conversation. And it's like, always going to be about, like, listening putting yourself in their shoes, like imagining that perspective, because like we can all relate. It's not like we've all had like flawless trust and, you know, success in government and trust in the government. Like we've all been frustrated. Absolutely. And it's interesting to me that, you know, the, um, when you say like meet people where they're at and if you're at, this is my hypothesis, you tell me if it's right or wrong, but like, um, if you are at a music concert, a festival or, just like experiencing art, I feel like there's an openness to community engagement. Mm, I think that's such a, it's such a well put point. Like, 
you know, we talk about right now, like one of the biggest losses in addition to obviously not being able to physically be at concerts is just the loss of, um, you know, the kind of just the, like the many town squares that are created at concerts and festivals, right. Where it's like, if you're, you're there as headcount in the back, like with the tent, you know, talk to people about voting. We have artists on stage doing like little PSA scripts who are also talking about it. It creates this kind of surround sound conversation and people talk about it or they're texting in on their phones to our text code. And, you know, there's, there's like a softer um, kind of conversation and like marketing moment that's happening there for voting. That's important. That's totally lost right now. And I think what you're also describing, like, is really what got me into this kind of intersection in the first place, which was like going to like shows and concerts as a kid feeling a huge sense of belonging and feeling like there was this just like perfect kind of like, you know, peak of a time where we were all feeling bonded and, you know, connected and, and high energy and probably vulnerable too, because that's what art does. And like, I think you're totally right. Like it, it makes it, there's an openness for like other messages to kind of get through in that moment. Yeah, definitely. And so you just, you mentioned when I got to know you, you were working for the Museum of Art and History in Santa Cruz, and you've got kind of a robust background in art and activism, but like, why, why, why is that your career path? Like, maybe, I don't know how far back it goes for you, but like, why are those things important to you? You know, growing up, I was immediately drawn to um, weird people, and the weird people ended up often also being very into music. So I feel like I felt like a weirdo made friends with other weirdos. We all liked some 41. And then, uh, <laughs> and, um, and then they all played music. And so my, but I was also like a very like entrepreneurial weirdo. And so I knew from a young age, like I was like 12, that I wasn't going to play music and I didn't play guitar, even though I really wanted to. Um, but all my friends were in a band called the Spanx. And I was like, this is amazing. This is great what y'all are doing. Look, my mom works at this like copy shop, like a print shop downtown. Why don't I have her print you stickers? And so we like, pr- I like made them stickers and I was their like manager. Um, and that was my first gig in arts management. And so I was just, you know, I think that I wanted, I knew that I like loved the energy and I loved the people. Um, and I wanted to be a part of that, like whatever I could do. And I knew that I was also just not making the art Not that I could never do it, but it just wasn't my bag at the time. And so I think I was like, I want to do whatever is possible to be in the same room as, you know, this kind of person. And that's kind of what was my start. So I ended up doing like a lot of show booking and like I booked open mics and I started a club in high school called Rock, which is an acronym for Renegade Officers of Connecticut Music. K. That is key. (laughs) I see your branding coming through already. And then I started going, there was like a huge message board in Connecticut for like other fans of like punk and ska. And I made a zine called Inkwell Press. That was like my main, another main vehicle for me to connect with other people around this. Cause I just like loved interviewing and talking to people. And then I ended up, you know, I think, I think through all of this and like, I, you know, went to college and one of my main roles there at my school, cause it, when I think back to college, it felt like a weird, like misfit den, but they would pay you. I think, or they would give me a budget of like $50,000 a year to just book bands. And I did that for two years. And like, I was like, it was like me and I had like a partner and we would just book shows like three or four nights a week of like pretty big bands. Like I would like book 
bands like Dan Deacon and like Future Islands and like all of these like incredible experiences. And so I think through all of this, like I just loved being a part of the scene of weirdos. I think that I was always really drawn to that. And then both by just the political opportunity and then also like just the sense of social bonding, which is what I kind of, I feel like my Santa Cruz chapter was really about, which was like, oh, you know, you can both have this kind of moment of like activism. And then also there's such an opportunity for like becoming closer with people in ways you wouldn't ordinarily. And um, that's kind of both been what's really, I just keep going, coming back because it's just the best, you know? Yeah, for sure. And I mean, that's what stands out to me in the time that I talk about social bonding, one of the most, how, how to describe power hour. I don't know. I know this has been like a custom, but like one of the most joyful, creative, collective experiences that I've been a part of. And I don't consider like beyond writing, I don't consider myself an artist in any way. And, and this wasn't, this wasn't even art. This was, well, again, like how the hell do you describe this? But it's, um, you know, you've always, it sounds like you've always had projects going that kind of fuel that, uh, that energy for you. Um, I don't know. Can you, can you explain power hour for people? That- yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, it's, it's good. Cause it's my birthday season right now again. So, so eight years, no, eight years ago, six years ago, it was my about to be my 22nd birthday. And I um, lived in Santa Cruz, but I had moved there just two years before. So I felt like at the time I had a lot of like acquaintances, but not like a ton of like super close friends, but I wanted a way to like celebrate with everybody for my birthday. And so while working at the museum at the time, everybody would get one free rental, like of the museum for like a night for themselves, like who worked there. And so I was like, okay, these are all the ingredients. I like know that I want to gather people. I know that I have this space, like, what do I do? And I don't, quite remember how I came up with like the format of it I think that there was like a lot of spitballing with like my friend ever at the time just being like okay I don't I don't know if I was just like thinking about like bespoke formats and then just being like how can I make this format weirder so I think like I was just remembering that like power hour is like a drinking game typically which is like there's an hour of like and every minute you like take a shot of beer and usually there's like these power hour playlists on YouTube so you can do like a pop punk power hour or like you know like a jazz power hour. that'd be horrible actually it'll be like <laughs> can you imagine like that's, how, <laughs> like that's how you'd lose your mind it would just be like, oh that would be intense <laughs> it'd be bad like just a different jazz song every minute like you really can't get even into <laughs> i'm pretty sure um, that was made illegal when uh yeah <laughs> when they talked about government torture but go ahead yeah Say. Nothing, nothing um, disrespectful about jazz, to be clear, but it just in this format, mm. it's not, it's not ideal. No. Um, so that's the format. And so then I was like, what if you did the same thing, but it's just no drinking and activity is every minute. So there's like a different kind of thing you would all do together simultaneously. So it just started, like I started the list that I had in my phone and I would just talk to people like getting up to my birthday party. I would like be like, Hey, here's like the, the, list I have so far like what if everyone high-fived each other for a minute and like 
what if everyone just like danced with a stranger for a minute, you know, and, and that was kind of how it evolved, but it was very much like a collaborative, like people would just be like, oh, it'd be amazing if you did like a wedding dance minute where um, some people like, you know, maybe would put each other up on chairs or, you know, like they dance traditionally or they would like, you know, do the electric slide. Like there's so many interpretations of it. So it started to get weird too. Like people would like, I think, I don't know if this was, oh, there were some early iterations that were really horrible. Like um, there was a, this one got quickly tossed, but it was um, like line up by how much you hate your dad. And so it was, wow. like, it was very divisive. It was not a good one because it was just like one side of the room, people like loved their dad. And then on the other side of the room, people were just kind of sad. <laughs> and we were like, no, no, no. Um, so it was, you know, and then I made a weird video and being a person who's very like hacky, I just like made it on PowerPoint, I think, or like maybe through iMovie. I like downloaded a bunch of images and then every image would be up for a minute and would be displayed on a screen. And so then I invited like a bunch of friends and probably like for the birthday party, like maybe 70 people showed up and we just like hit go on the video and it went. And there were 60 different activities for a minute long. It was just like probably going to be the best day of my life. Like it was just the best feeling. And you've always had, it sounds like you've always had these types of projects um, kind of in the mix and something you were kind of sharing with me um, before was that you, you've you been trying to be more deliberate to make sure that your your work is not your sole identity and that there are these like outlets for your creativity and, and your weirdo legacy maybe. <laughs> um, and like, talk to me a little bit about what you've been finding in the last year related to like carving out that space for play and balance. Yeah, I've been, it's funny. I've been thinking about it lately. I guess like, you know, it's, it's so hard to judge anything. Like time feels very stopped this year. Right. Like, you know, I think part of me in it's, it's so dumb, right? Like you, you're, I'm like, oh, I feel like I'm in a rut and it's like, a who's not. And then like, B how is it possible to be anything but that, but it's, it's weird. Cause I, I think when I left Santa Cruz, you know, I would um, report on some of my weird projects, like people back home, like even like old, like high school teachers or something when I was just doing my like every other year update about my life to them or something. And they'd be like only in California, you know, like when they would hear about power hour or like my amateur dance class that I hosted or something. And so I was always like, that always like terrified me. Cause I was like, Oh God, like my playfulness ends here. Meanwhile, forgetting that I what grew up here and had plenty of that. But I do think there's like a scary thing too, as you get older, where there's like a self-consciousness that might come up and you might be less likely to just like say fuck it and like try something. Um, but I think that, you know, in this time, like, I think what I was, what I was experiencing this year was just kind of like, I was like, all right, I'm giving myself like a hall pass. Like I'm not going to like be too rough on expecting anything from myself this year. Cause I want to be gentle in a year that's like pretty intense, um, for many reasons. And, but I also found that I was like actively miserable, like work was extremely stressful. There were some dynamics there that were like, just being like a real personal, like that was just carrying with me in a way like I had never had before. Like I'm a really good sleeper. I was like not sleeping for like weeks. And it was just like, felt like this weird, like bad mental health time. And I, I just kind of had the, you know, reckoning of being like oh you know if I don't create something to take up some space 
like this bad, stressful thing, which at the time was work is just going to consume everything. Like, you know, and I had those images of like, that you see in science class of like what different molecules look like in different states of matter. And like, you know, how when it's like solid, everything is just like in one place. And when it's like liquid, it's all kind of like clumped at the bottom. But when it's gas, it's just like all these particles just kind of like taking up all the space they have. And I'm like, that's what it feels like. It feels like this, like stress and bad feeling this moment is going to take up any space it's given if I don't like fill it with other things and I think I've been reflecting on that as like a premise because I think that it's a pretty like it's a privileged one too like what happens if you like don't have time for anything else but I I just noticed like I'm like man my thoughts just wander to the they're attracted to the bad shit and the like the stressfulness and um And, you know, I think at the time I was like, I need to just do something, some outlet to create just even a different pathway of thought, you know? Um, And so I think, you know, I was really that I ended up actually creating like a email newsletter, which you are now a new subscriber to, and I'm very excited about it. Um, Just mostly more for anything. I was just like, I need a, a space to write. And I also knew that I like need I, I kind of like, it wasn't enough just like post on a public a private blog. I like need an audience clearly. And so I, <laughs> I was, uh, I was like, all right, I'm just going to like make it super low stakes, invite, you know, some friends uh, to just subscribe and not look at the open rates and just kind of send it out there every week. And like, I would say that that's been one of the more, in addition to therapy, um, a really helpful thing that's been ha- helping just because it's kind of like forced itself as a, as a, um, an outlet, I guess. And also an excuse to take in more input. Like, I think that that's the other piece is like, you know, I've, there's a lot of people and like, whether it's like the artist's way or whatever, like classic artist home, you're kind of like looking at that are like input matters just as much as anything else. Like so often we kind of like sit down at the desk or like with the paintbrush and expect us to like work wonders, but then realize you're like on Instagram all day scrolling or you're like stressing out at work and you really don't have any like inspiration coming into your input, anything generative, you know? And, um, I think that that's true, but I also found for myself at least that if I didn't have like a place I was putting it in the first place, which, because I'm not really a person that's like, I don't write music and I don't have any real other art form that I go to, like, you kind of need to like create the outlet and then like it paves away really naturally for you there to be like more input coming in. So even just like, like conversations like this one, like I now pay attention to in different ways. Cause I'm like, Oh, this is like, I follow that thought. Cause it's could be a thing I write about. I, I usually ask like to, to close out, Lisa, I usually ask what's bringing people joy, but I think we just spent the last like <laughs> 30 minutes on that. But what else, you know, uh, are you listening to some 41 throwbacks? Are you experimental jazz? Like, what is it? There is a new vegan cheese that reminds me of like my old Trader Joe's like go-to. That's just like block of cheddar, but it's like the best oh. freaking thing. I, I, I ate two of them in this week, like two blocks. It's so like there's so much to be really sad and down about right now. And I'm not about to say, don't be down about it, but I find part of my reaction to it is also just like, I'm not really good at being like um, in despair (laughs) for like a long time. But I think part of my like realization this year is like, I'm like, I'm not like, 
I'm not good at being in that space. And I think that's like an asset is like also realizing like, where do you kind of naturally fall in moments like this? Like, Like noticing that kind of vulnerability and like staying there, like realizing that that's like unique and a thing to offer and a good perspective to have. It could be something joyful. Like it could be both something we've never imagined, right? Like in both ways, something horrible <laughs> and something wonderful. And I think that part of what I, I've been finding a lot of comfort in is just knowing like, I'm like, I tend towards the wonderful and it doesn't mean you are naive or deny things that are happening, but it's like, there's lots to be added around the imaginative part of this too. Like imagination is resistance and, you know, so is joy. And uh, I think that there's a lot of, comfort I've been finding in that and I hope other people can too.